Good morning, everybody. It is Wednesday, September 27th, 2017. A happy Wednesday to everybody. This is Mike Lyon coming to you live with the Wicked Awesome Boston Sports Podcast. And as I said before, Tuesdays and Wednesdays, especially in the fall, tend to be the slowest news days of the week or the slowest shows of the week because the days before them don't have any football games uh, in October and especially in November. There won't be many baseball games. So we don't have a ton to talk about. We do have some Red Sox stuff to talk about, and we're obviously going to cover the game last night, which, as most of you know by now, was a big disappointment. Uh, But there's not much else to talk about on the Boston landscape beyond the Red Sox. So I want to spend some time talking today about a topic that's very near and dear to my heart that made major news yesterday in the college basketball world. And we're going to get into a lot of that. I'm going to share some thoughts I have on it because this is this is stuff that, that I've thought about uh, and, and known was an issue and everybody's known was an issue for about as long as I've been watching this sport. So we're going to dedicate the majority of the show to that. And I think it's worth, it, it's worth listening to if you're a college sports fan, not just a college basketball fan, but if you're a fan of amateur athletics at all, I, I think it's worth paying attention to this story. But let's start on the baseball field where... I'm, I'm telling you, this it's it's hard not to get gloom and doom right now after what was an awesome road trip for the Red Sox. They dropped last night's game by a final of 9-4, to four, and they had the guy on the mound that they felt was their best chance to win this week. That was Chris Sale, and he wasn't good. Let's just put it that way. He wasn't good. He went five innings. He gave up five runs, four home runs total on the night. He put the team in a hole that they just couldn't climb out of. The, the Blue Jays had five runs in in by the time he left. They scored four more in the top of the ninth inning. So a little bit of a back-end bullpen meltdown. The Red Sox actually put three across in the... I'm sorry, the, they, I'm sorry. The Blue Jays scored four in the, bot, in the top of the eighth. The Red Sox put three of their own across in the bottom of the eighth. But by then it was far over. It was way too late. Final was 9-4. to four. Sale takes his seventh loss of the season. And... I'm telling, and the Yankees, by the way, won again. The Yankees beat the Tampa Bay Rays six to two, so there's no blood again in the in the standings. No, the magic number remains at three, with five games remaining in the season. Again, let's not completely overreact yet. The Red Sox have five games left. The Yankees also have five games. Any combination of Red Sox wins and Yankees losses totaling three gives the Red Sox the division crown. So they're still very much in the driver's seat for this even though it's only a three-game lead with five to play. But it's hard not to get gloom and doom here. They were coming off a very successful, greatly, really extremely well-played road trip in which they went 8-1. and They come home where they've been great all season, and they drop the first two games of the series, and the starting pitchers, your your, your best and your second best starting pitchers, by the way, put the team in a hole that was pretty much impossible to climb out of. I said it was it was great that they had Chris Hill to start this game last night. It was what they went out and got him for, and he just laid an egg. I mean, let's be honest. He just laid an egg. Your starting pitcher can't give up four home runs in a start. You, you can't count on the offense to bail you out time and time again. You can't count on the bullpen time and time time and out, you know, to, to bail you out, especially if you're Chris Sale. And Sale acknowledged it. I mean, he did a nice job with the media afterward. He said, this is on me. I put him in a hole. You know, it's it's my fault, and 
I'm the reason the team lost. So he acknowledged it, give him credit for that. But think about this. They lose last night. They have Rick Porcello going tonight, who has been their most maddening pitcher all season long. 17 losses on the year against 10 wins. He hasn't pitched as bad as the 17 losses would suggest, but he goes tonight against Marco Estrada, who has killed the Red Sox this year. Killed them. ERA is under 140. The Red Sox are only batting like a collective 105 against the guy. So the Red Sox need a win tonight. I mean, I hate to say it, but they need a win. They need to write this thing because after Toronto leaves town tonight, they've got four against the Houston Astros. And I've told you before, Houston may not, may, you know, they, they're probably not going to play this series out with all their regular roster. They're probably going to line up their pitchers. And I think they will do that, and I think they'll give some regular guys a rest in this series just to get them ready for the playoffs. But Houston is hammering the ball now. They scored 11 runs last night. They've got something like 40 in their last five games. They're really, I mean, they're a great team to begin with, and they're really starting to hit again. So that was a tough loss for the Red Sox. First, you know, certainly a, a tough two losses to begin this series, and the future is foreboding. This is the last start in all likelihood of Rick Porcello's season. It is by far the most important one that he's had. By far. And again, the Red Sox are going to the playoffs. They're going to make back-to-back -back playoff appearances for the first time in a while. I've said before, I think they need to win the divisional crown because I don't think they can go to a wild card game and then go to Cleveland and win that series in Cleveland without Chris Sale pitching game one. This is a very big start for Rick Porcello. Very, very big. He's got to win this game, and, and that's asking. I realize that's asking a lot. I, I realize that's asking a bunch out of a guy who's been inconsistent all season to go up against a guy who's killed the Red Sox all season after they've they've lost two in a row with their best starters. The pressure on Porcello is significant. I, I don't. I, I get it. And they're facing an offense that seems to really be turning the corner at least late in the season in Toronto. The Red Sox can't get Josh Donaldson out. He had two more home runs last night by the way, but th this is a very, very big start for Rick Porcello. Very, very big. If he pitches well, quite frankly, he might get himself a spot in the postseason rotation if you want to add some pressure to it. He's got to stem the tide. He's got to stop the bleeding on this little mini, mini, mini losing streak that they've got. And he's got to give the Red Sox a chance to win the game tonight because neither starting pitcher so far in the series did so. It's. It doesn't feel great, obviously, if you're a Red Sox fan, knowing that this is a very big game. You got to, you know, Houston coming in for four after this, and you got to put your 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 hopes of winning the division, or at least momentarily, your hopes of winning the division on Rick Porcello's shoulders. It doesn't feel great. It doesn't feel great. But you do forget. I mean, people do seem to forget that Rick Porcello did win the Cy Young last year. He was. One of, if not the most consistent starter in the American League start to finish last year. This year he started elevating pitches. He's given up way too many home runs, which is also not a good sign in a short ballpark against a team that hits a lot of home runs in Toronto. But the guy's been around before. He's done it. It's not like you're giving this game to, you know, a 21-year-old rookie who's just up from double-A because your pitching staff is shot. 
Now that's something the Red Sox had to do a couple years ago, back in 2011. At least you're giving the ball to a guy who's been there before, who's been in pressure situations, who's been in the playoffs. I mean, I think he's going to understand what's on his shoulders tonight. And hopefully he comes out, keeps the ball down, at least gives his team a chance to win. I, I think asking for a big shutout, you know, for, for several shutout innings from Rick Porcello is asking a lot. But at least, you know, you hope that Porcello comes out and gives his team a chance to win tonight because Sale and Pomerantz didn't do that. They at least need a starter capable of giving his team a chance to win. You know, if, if they can hold, if he can hold the Blue Jays to two or three runs, all right, I'll take my chances with that, with the way the Red Sox have been swinging the bat lately. But, like I said, very big start for Porcello, his last one of the season, going against a guy who's really hit, really been tough on the Red Sox this year. It's a pressure-packed game for the Red Sox. First time they've faced adversity in a little while, because you don't want to, you know, you got to assume the, Red, the Yankees are going to win again. They're playing at home, they're mashing the ball, you got to assume they're going to win again. So, big ser big start. Big start for the Red Sox tonight. Big game. I hate to say it. I hate to say it. They got to win this game. If you want to win this division, you got to win this game tonight. And it's a tall task. I recognize that. It's a very tall task. But, very big start for Rick Porcello. So, put a bow on it. And, and oh, by the way, I forgot to mention, Rafael Devers left the game last night. It's like the, the 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 Blue Jays have been killing the Red Sox on both sides of the ball and hurting them, uh, you know, when when they come up to the plate. Devers left last night, got hit by a pitch. Uh, I think he's probably going to be fine. But the Red Sox also played last night without Mookie Betts, without Eduardo Nunez, and without Dustin Pedroia. They all sat last game. Betts and, and, and Nunez got hurt on Monday. Maybe they're back today. Again, this is a, a big game for the Red Sox, so I wouldn't be surprised to see them all in the lineup. But to put a bow on it, magic number stays at three. It is a three-game lead for the Red Sox over the Yankees in the American League East. That is, <clears throat> it is essentially the only division in baseball left to be decided. The Cubs haven't actually clinched it outright in the National League Central but they're about to. Their magic number is one, even though they last they lost last night against uh, St. Louis. But uh, their magic number is only one to clinch the division against Milwaukee, so they're going to get there. You think the Red Sox are going to get there too? They're certainly still the favorite to do that, but it's a big series tonight, big game tonight, and then obviously it's going to be a big series against Houston. So that's, uh, that's the Red Sox recap, not an overwhelmingly positive one. I know I'm a little gloom and doom here. I don't mean to be. I still think the Red Sox are going to win this division. I've got every faith in them. Even if tonight doesn't go as planned, they still have a good chance. But, you know, didn't go well again last night. And you got to start wondering about things. you got to start questioning it. So watch tonight. See what they can do. We will be back, obviously, to talk about it again tomorrow and to, 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 put a, to, to, to get the Astro Series started as well. So with the disappointing Red Sox game out of the way and what is otherwise a very slow news day in in Boston sports. Patriots had their normal off day yesterday. They'll get back on the practice field today, so we'll have some, some injury reports to talk about and, and maybe a little bit of news coming out of Patriots camp. But let's talk about something, the, 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 the major sports story that hit yesterday. Uh, if you didn't see it, the United States Attorney's Office for the Southern District of New York, basically the Federal Prosecutor's Office in New York City, 
announced a series of arrests were being made or were planning or warrants were being issued for 10 individuals involved in college basketball recruiting and uh, representation, I guess I'll, I'll, I'll say for a better term, four assistant coaches across Division I schools uh, from Arizona, Auburn, Oklahoma State, and I believe USC. Yeah, that's right. United, the University of Southern, of, of Southern California, USC, were arrested yesterday. And the charges against them were essentially, they essentially boil down to they're being accused of taking bribes in order to steer some of their players toward agents and toward a certain representative. The representative was was partnering with a financial agent or, or a financial and kind of an investment advisor to pay off these coaches. The coaches would then in turn steer the players to the the agent and to the financial advisor for representation after they were after they decided to turn professional. There were also indictments, I shouldn't say indictments, but uh, arrests issued, arrests issued or, or warrants issued for the head of global marketing, global sports marketing for Adidas, Jim Gatto, and, and, and a couple of other guys who were involved in a pay-for-play scheme essentially to get recruits money or to pay recruits a, a significant amount of money, certain recruits a significant amount of money in return for their commitment to, or to entice them, I guess is a better way of put it, putting it, to entice them to committing to Adidas schools. Uh, the one school that is pretty obviously mentioned in that in, in that arrest warrant is the University of Louisville. It, it's been widely suggested, if not confirmed yet, that the player in question was Brian Bowen. Uh, he is a five-star recruit who is supposed to enroll in at Louisville, I think, next year, 2018. Uh, but a, a very a high-level recruit. A lot of schools are after him. The, 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 the Adidas folks and, and various other individuals involved in the scheme are accused of funneling $100,000 to Bowen to entice him to commit to Louisville. There's another accusation in the arrest warrant or the affidavit saying that these guys from Adidas paid another recruit $150,000 to enroll in the University of Miami. That recruit has been highly speculated to be Lonnie Walker, although that hasn't been confirmed, and some of the details don't really describe him in the, in, in the arrest warrant as I looked at it, so uh, don't assume that it's him yet. But Lonnie Walker is from around here. He's from Reading, Pennsylvania. He is a very high-level recruit. A lot of schools were after him. Uh, but in any event, it is a widespread, just embarrassing in a lot of ways, but shock, you, know, you could say shocking, but I'll get to why it's not all that shocking in a second. It is a certainly a, a crazy set of allegations and, and crazy set of facts that the federal that, that the federal that the, that the FBI and the, and, and the prosecutors have come up with and the charges being levied against these guys are serious. Bribery, honest services fraud, mail fraud, wire fraud, conspiracy. There, there's a lot of different criminal charges, very serious criminal charges being brought against these coaches and against these individuals. And there's a lot of things to say here. If, uh, well, let me start with this. For anybody who does know me, I mean, I'm a very big Boston sports fan. That's why I do this podcast. Uh, 
I, I, you know, I love the Red Sox, Patriots, Bruins, Celtics. That's why I do this podcast. I follow them very closely, and you can take nothing away from that. I, I've, I've been that way for as long as I can remember, and always, and I'll continue to be that way. And, and that's why I do this podcast. But for most people who know me, most people know that my favorite sport to go and see live, and and maybe even my favorite sport overall, is college basketball. And I've been a college basketball fan and, and, and a men's basketball fan in the women's game too, but primarily a men's basketball fan for as long as I can remember. And when I went to school, I, for those who don't know, I went to Villanova University. I graduated there about 11 years ago. And it was right at the time that Villanova was in the Big East and, and was becoming a national player again, uh, a, a big time program again. And I didn't miss many games. I was a huge Villanova fan when I was there, but just became even more of a fan of the sport when I was in college. So that's a little bit about my background. I, I you know, that so that confession having been made, uh, college basketball is very, very near and dear to my heart. I, I grew up with it. I became a bigger fan, and I followed it very closely. And for those who have followed this sport very closely. Yesterday's news shouldn't come as a very big shock. It's pretty widely known that, or at least pretty widely assumed, I guess I should say, that this type of bribery, this type of, of, of pay-for-play environment has long existed in college basketball circles. It's, 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 it's existed for a long time. And it's hard like I said, to be extremely shocked by the fact that guys are, are being accused and the Federal Bureau of Investigation has evidence that coaches and and, and folks at Adidas and, and others involved in, in college basketball, that they have evidence that these guys are, are, are using the system and, and paying people, players, coaches, families, etc., for the right to, to represent these kids when they get out of college, for the right to even have them play at their college to begin with. It's very, it, it, it comes as no surprise to anybody who follows the sport. And it, and it doesn't come as a surprise to me that there's evidence of that happening. What did come as a very big surprise to me yesterday, and, and I guess the, the better way of putting it is the, the overwhelming feeling I have on this is, where was the NCAA in all this? Like this, this, this escaped the NCAA for how long? It took the feds to blow the cover off this. The the NCAA is, and for those who who don't follow college athletics, then don't worry about this. I mean, you can kind of tune this out, but I think it's an important topic because eventually these college athletes become professional ones, and uh, it, it's like I said, it's it's a topic that's very near and dear to my heart. But the the NCAA exists as an organization to essentially maintain and promote the amateur status of its athletic programs and the amateur status of its athletes. The NCAA actually has an enforcement wing and an investigatory wing dedicated to upholding the amateur status of its programs and its athletes. Now, I understand, you know, I, I, I saw this... I've seen this a bunch online on Twitter and in articles and everything like that. There is absolutely no question that the Federal Bureau of Investigation 
is a far, 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 far bigger and more powerful investigative body than the NCAA could ever hope to have. I agree with that and I get it. The feds have subpoena power, they have grand juries, they can issue arrests, you know, they can they, they can threaten people with much more severe penalties than the NCAA can. They've got essentially unlimited personnel and resources at their capability. I get all that and I agree with it. So, you know, you say on the one hand, well, it's no, you know, it's, it's of, of course the feds came up with it and the NCAA did it. They're just far, far more powerful. Here's why I don't completely buy that. The NCAA has been able to get to the bottom of an awful lot of less important recruiting issues and academic issues throughout its existence, the enforcement wing. So take what happened with Michael Orr, for example. If, if you saw the movie The Blind Side, you kind of get the story, but very back, you know, kind of backstory is this, and I know I'm switching sports for a second, but this applies equally to basketball. But backstory very quickly is this. Michael Orr is a, 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 a very athletic, very big, very talented offensive lineman in Tennessee. He's orphaned. He was born to a mom uh, who was unfortunately saddled with drug addiction. Father wasn't really in the picture. He was taken in by the Tui family, Leanne and Sean Tui in Memphis, Tennessee, uh, who adopted him, began to raise him through high school, where became their legal guardians. The Tuies also were very big boosters and donors to the University of Mississippi, or eventually declared his intention to play for the University of Mississippi, and the NCAA investigated that, and essentially came up with a whole boatload of information on the Tuies, on the decision that Orr made, eventually decided there was no intent and no problem with, with what happened, and, and Orr was able to play at Mississippi, became a first-round pick, and had a, a fairly long NFL career. So take that, that's the backstory. Take that example. And what that tells you is that the NCAA has resources at its capability to go and investigate these instances of potential recruiting misconduct. Now I'm not saying the Tuies bribed this kid to go to Miami, or to Mississippi, excuse me, or partnered with anybody to go to Mississippi. That's not what I'm saying at all. For all I know, they did absolutely nothing wrong, and the NCAA's investigation was spot on. I'm not accusing the Tuies or Orr of anything here. I'm simply bringing it up to show you that the NCAA does have tools at its disposal to go and recruit, to, to, to go and investigate these types of recruiting violations. Why on earth can the NCAA not have a much greater involvement in uncovering this type of scandal? Why on earth do they let this stuff go? What, where is the investigate, in, investigations into this type of pay-for-play environment? Because we know it's happened for an awfully long time. We know it's happened for an awfully long time. There's been stories in the press. There's been guys even convicted of, of, of lesser offenses who've been uh, offered chances at leniency to roll on other coaches and recruiters, and they don't do it. We know this stuff happens. It's happened for years. Years. I mean, going back 20 or 30 or more years. It takes the Federal Bureau of Investigation in 2017 to essentially tear the cover off the loosely guarded secret that's the, that, 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 that there's a pay-for-play environment in college basketball. The NCAA has resources dedicated exclusively 
to maintaining the amateur status of its athletes and its games and its sports. Where were these resources allocated before? I mean, you've got a ton of resources in the NCAA allocated to academic issues, to, to players who are apparently ineligible or aren't supposed to be playing for a year because of some stupid academic issue that they have in high school that doesn't affect their transcripts, doesn't affect their, you know, do, doesn't make them stupid, doesn't affect their ability to play a sport, and doesn't affect their ability to learn. If, if you think I'm referring to Omari Spellman and Villanova, well, yeah, I am. I'm a little bitter about that. But they, they've got all these resources dedicated to that. And you see these, these, these academic violations and suspensions and ineligibility issues pop up year after year after year in basketball and, and, in, and in football and in other sports too. Why isn't the NCAA pointing its investigative arm at this? This pay-for-play environment is the single greatest detriment and single greatest threat that I can think of to the NCAA status as an amateur sports organization. Why isn't the NCAA focused on this? And I'll give you a reason why I think they're not focused on it in a second, but if you're not finding fault with the NCAA today, I mean, if you're just saying, well, they're not as big of a, they, they don't have the investigative tools that the feds do, I get that, but why not use the tools that they do have and try to root this out? Why haven't they been doing that? I mean, that's what doesn't make any sense to me. Now, I'll give you a guess or, or a, a hypothesis, I suppose, as to why the NCAA wouldn't be policing this stuff. And it's gonna seem obvious and it's gonna seem potentially like sour grapes, but I'm gonna give it to you anyway. It's because the NCAA doesn't care. Because the NCAA wants its big programs to succeed, wants them to be big names, so they generate news, they generate revenue. It's because the the the, the big schools are the ones that pay most of the NCAA's bills anyway. The NCAA is a nonprofit organization, and athletic departments have to pay to belong to it. And as long as the big programs are healthy. As long as they are winning, as long as they're making money, as long as they're in the news, then the NCAA stays relevant. Then college athletics remain relevant. So the NCAA turned a blind eye to all this and said, you know what? It doesn't really matter. As long as the games are good, that's what, that's what we care about. And as long as these programs are healthy, we're going to turn, turn a blind eye to this. It's either that, it's complete ignorance, or it's just a massive massive failure of allocating resources in the NCAA. It's one or the other. It can't be both. It's one or the other. And it, and it can't just simply be... I refuse to, to, to simply believe the third option, which is what some apologists would suggest, which is the NCAA truly had no idea what was going on here. They truly just had no clue that this was happening and the feds came over the top with their subpoena power and their grand juries and their investigative tools and just rooted it out. I refuse to believe that. Absolutely refuse to believe that. This is a catastrophic failure on the part of the NCAA not to realize this. Catastrophic. And some changes have to be made over there. The NCAA has got to do something. The NCAA has so many questions to answer on this. 
so many questions to answer, and they've got to do something to these schools. I mean, Louisville came out yesterday and essentially said, we know we're a target of this investigation. We know we're being investigated. We know that people within our program are involved in what the in, in what the feds are the FBI is doing. You see, did you see Rick Pitino's statement yesterday? Rick Pitino's the head coach at Louisville. Been involved in in in, in multiple scandals before. Rick Pitino comes out and says, "I'm shocked. I didn't know what was happening." Boy, where have I heard that before? <laughs> where have I heard that before from Pitino? There was a scandal just last year involving an assistant coach bringing strippers and 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 drugs and and stuff on campus to entertain his players and recruits. And Patino said, oh, I don't know what's happening. I didn't know. I didn't know. I had no idea. I'm telling you, I've heard this before from Patino. The NCAA has to do something here. It's, it's got to get its schools in line. It's got to slap them with, at a minimum, pretty severe probation or fines or sanctions, these schools that are involved in this, because they've got serious, I mean, and it's, it's not just to punish the schools that were involved. I mean, they've got the NCAA has serious egg on its face here, serious egg on its face, and I, I, again, I I just don't buy the narrative that the NCAA was powerless to investigate this stuff. That the that 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 the feds just came in without them knowing, and uprooted this problem that has been going on for 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 centuries, or not centuries, but decades, really. That the, the the NCAA just had no idea any of this was taking place. I just don't buy that narrative. That's just like it's an impossible narrative to uphold. I mean, the NCAA not knowing anything about this investigation and not knowing anything about the coaches and the people that were involved in it. I mean, to me, that's ludicrous. It's just ludicrous. And for the NCAA to allow the feds to come in and do the type of investigation. And you know, have at least initial success with the type of investigation that its own investigative arm and enforcement arm is dedicated to doing itself. It just looks really, really bad for college basketball as a whole and for the NCAA as an organization. So, what's going to come of all this? I, I don't know. It's it's a little too early to say. I mean, if if you listened to the the press conference yesterday or heard about the press conference, the the FBI and the U.S. Attorney most notably or most prominent in the investigation in the press conference essentially said this is the tip of the iceberg uh, you know these affidavits these arrest affidavits don't detail all the facts we have all the evidence we have there's more interviews going there's there, there's more stuff that's going to come from this you know there, there could be a it, it, it certainly could be a much bigger investigation than we already know it is right now i mean for now you 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 know, you feel badly for the families of these guys that are, especially these coaches that are implicated. One of the coaches implicated, by the way, was Chuck Person. And if you're a Celtics fan, you might remember that name. He was a pretty darn good shooter back in his day in the NBA, most notably for the Pacers, but he played for a few other teams as well. He's one of the guys that was embroiled in this. He was an assistant coach at Auburn for Bruce Pearl. But for those who say this is going to ruin college sports, I disagree. Go read Mark Titus's post on the on on the Ringer. Mark Titus is a uh, a former walk-on at Ohio State. Now, I mean, he, he wrote a really really funny book about his time there after it was done. He's a comedic writer, 
college basketball analyst for the Ringer, Bill Simmons' website, wrote a really good and short article on this, on his perspective on what this means. And his take essentially is, this isn't Armageddon. This is a this is a chance for the NCAA to start over, or for basketball to start over and re you know reinvent itself, come up with recruiting you know tools and and rules that actually work. It's a chance to start over, and I agree with that. It's a really nice little short piece. He's a good read for anything college basketball related, anyway. Um, Gary Parish is another is probably my favorite college basketball sports writer right now. He's over at CBS. Uh, I have not had a chance to listen to his podcast on this. Him and Matt Norlander recorded a podcast on this and published it late last night. Um, I'm hope, hoping that I'll be able to listen to it later today. Uh, he's another good follow on this. But I, I tend to agree with that take by Titus. I, I don't think this is the death knell for college basketball. I don't think this is what rolls over the NCAA. Uh, I do think there are going to have to be changes and penalties and fairly significant ones at that in order to survive this. And I think reaction is going to have to be swift. But I think college basketball can survive this and will survive it. Hopefully what you see is some of these school, you know, the schools start playing on equal playing fields now and the schools with huge budgets and, you know, big time connections to these, these, these huge shoe and apparel programs like Adidas and and like Nike and others, they don't get to, you know, they, 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 they come back to the pack a little bit. They don't get to pay these outlandish amounts or arrange for payments of these outlandish amounts to get a college basketball to play basketball for them for a year or more. Hopefully that's what comes out of this. It's going to take a little while, but the NCAA has got a lot of egg on its face and they need to do something. So that's our show for today, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for letting me riff about college basketball for a little bit. Tomorrow, hopefully, will be a little bit of a heavier news day. We will have a recap on the Sox, how it ended up. The big Rick Porcello starts tonight in the series ender against the Blue Jays. We'll certainly talk about the upcoming series against Houston. We will get into any other news affecting the Bruins Celtics. and We'll probably do a little bit on the injury report for the Patriots in the practice report. For now, however, make it a great Wednesday. Hope it's a nice one wherever you are. Uh, apparently this hot weather in the Northeast is going to kind of go away after today, so we'll get into some more fall stuff going into tomorrow and the weekend. But have a great day, everyone. This is Mike Lyons signing off. We will see you tomorrow morning. Goodbye, everyone.